Welcome to the POD cast. We are back. The pride of Detroit podcast for all your Detroit Lions coverage that you are looking for. We are on Stitcher. We are on sound, not SoundCloud. We're on <laughs> Apple podcast. Uh, we're on what else, Ryan? What am I missing? Spotify, baby. Spotify. And as of last week, YouTube, we're not streaming live to YouTube, but if you want to catch us on video where you can at least see my face, Ryan is again, going through some webcam issues. Um, and if you don't know what Twitch is or you don't care what Twitch is, which is the platform that we stream live on, you can watch a rerun of us on YouTube now. Um, I don't have the link, but just search Pride of Detroit on YouTube. You'll find it and you'll find some old episodes and and our newest one, the one that we are recording as I speak right now. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I'm the managing editor of PrideofDetroit.com, the interim coach of this POD cast. And you already heard from him because I already let him speak because that's how this works. Uh, Ryan Matthews is with us. Back is the mother. That's at Ryan underscore POD. Ryan, thanks for joining us tonight, bud. Oh, thank you. Am I allowed to speak for a second time, sir? <laughs> I'll allow it. I'll allow it. You know what? Yes, sir. If may I have got, another? If you got a third one, I'll let you go in right now. <laughs> oh, I'm happy to be here. We're going to talk about training camp today. We are. And it's just going to it's going to be a, a duo podcast tonight. So uh, get ready for a lot of us. Um, if I if I permit Ryan to speak more, we'll see. Uh, depends on what he has to say but yeah we're going to talk a lot of training camp because based on happenings that are 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 literally ongoing as we speak right now it does seem like they are going to come some to some sort of agreement between the nfl and the nflpa um the latest news and i don't want to get too much into the news because there's a good chance by the time this is released that uh things may have changed but um the latest domino that appears to have fallen is that the the is that the preseason is probably not going to happen. The NFL apparently uh, offered up zero preseason games to the NFLPA, which is something they were looking for the entire time. Um, There's also potential daily testing and all sorts of stuff that the NFLPA was looking for. So it does look like training camp is going to happen and happen very soon. Um, The the beginning of training camp is supposed to start the the 28th. And whether that means practices or just conditioning or on is is something that we'll, we'll see down the line, but we want to talk about training camp in its entirety. We want to talk about the big stories, um, the position battles, all of that fun stuff, because it it is just around the corner. And I'm, I'm actually getting pretty excited about it. I was pretty, I was pretty, I would say pessimistic about the chances of everything, but it does look like at least they're going to give this a go. So why not be excited about it? Right, Ryan? Yeah, why not be excited about football when there's still a glimmer of hope? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think maybe that's what it is. Like we have to get excited for it now just in case it's taken away from us later. Yeah, exactly. So, um one other interesting thing that you did you you touched on there was the daily testing. Um and the daily testing is something that they'll have in place until uh what the like the positive test rate falls below 5% and then they'll start doing every other day. Right. So it, it sounds like, and the only reason I mentioned that is because it sounds like the NFL is finally starting to put together some sort of plan, which is something that we've all kind of been waiting for. Like, are they going to try to do their own little bubble? Because today uh, the NBA announced that every single one of their players is, is COVID negative. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit about the, or uh, we talked a little bit about how a bubble would be nearly impossible for an NFL, um, for an NFL season. But, um, it sounds like the NFL is finally starting to put some 
pieces of the puzzle together to try to have a season. Yeah. And hopefully they can make it through. Hopefully they can have all those negative tests once, uh, once everyone starts reporting, but um, to, to kind of transition in, into today's topic, um, it is training camp preview, but we're going to focus specifically on the offense this week. And then next week we'll get to the defense. And um, you know, if, if something major happens between then and now maybe we'll do an emergency podcast, but for now we're doing the training camp preview. We're starting with the offense because let's be honest, it's probably a little more exciting uh, when you look at how this team is built. Um, and with this first segment, we're going to focus on the skill position players because I think the offensive line may need its own entire segment on all of the happenings there. So let's just, let's just go down the roster. Let's start with the obvious beginning point and start with quarterback where I don't think there's really much question about where the depth chart lays, but there is one key question that we're going to have to find out between now and the start of the regular season. And that is whether lines keep two, or whether they keep three. So Chase Daniel is the obvious backup. Matthew Stafford's the obvious starter. But what to do with David Blau? Does he make the 53-man roster? Should he make the 53-man roster? Is he good enough to make the 53-man roster? All of those are big questions, Ryan. Um, what, what are your initial thoughts on it? Well, is there enough room for David Blau on the 53-man roster when you consider the state of flux that I think the offensive line is in? And we'll talk about that in a minute, right? So, yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't think that we should be dismissive of the fact that the Lions did trade to get David Blau last yeah. preseason. Um, in his limited time that he played last season, he looked like he could be a potential NFL backup, but the Lions went out and they decided to get somebody who they deemed to be an upgrade. And like you said, Chase Daniels, without a doubt, the backup quarterback of the Detroit Lions. I don't know if I see them keeping three guys. Maybe they try to take David Blau to the practice squad, but would would he even would he even stick around? I think another team would be would be quick to snatch him up. Yeah, it's always tough to predict those sort of things, right? Like we always, I know with a lot of like sixth and seventh round picks. Um, we did you know, this with Jake Rudock, right? Yeah, we did do this with Jake Rudock. <laughs> They're like, oh, he's going to get snatched up immediately, and then they don't. I'm not saying they, I mean, that certainly happens, especially with the quarterback position. Um, so I, I would say there's certainly a chance that David Blau, I mean, that's the reason why the Lions traded for him, right? They were concerned that he would, that if the Browns would have cut him, someone would have snatched him up on the waiver wire before them. So they trade for him for basically nothing. Um, so yeah, I think, and, and it's tough because last year they kept three quarterbacks, but those three quarterbacks at the time were Josh Johnson and David Blau. And so there wasn't a key backup. And so, there wasn't a clear backup. Now there is a clear right. backup. And so I think there's a, there's a good chance they only go with two this year. Yeah. And like I said, I think it's really predicated on the fact that there is a lot of uncertainty at some other positions we're going to talk about today. So the lions may want to uh, prioritize depth at those positions versus something that they see as a solidified starter in Stafford, a solidified backup in chase Daniel. Yeah. And, and I think one thing to keep in mind in the back of our mind, when we talk about all these like potential cuts and, and 53 man rosters is also how that's a fluid situation, right? Like we don't know how the rosters are going to change with potential COVID rules. And, and, you know, maybe they give roster exemptions to a, a third or fourth quarterback just because you're going to need a healthy quarterback at some point if, if the pandemic hits uh, the quarterback room. So uh, just something to keep in mind in the back, like we're, we're operating right now as if the 53 man roster is the rule and, and nothing in that sense is going to change, but it very well could. Oh yeah. 
All right, let's move on to running backs, where I think there's a couple of key battles in this one. Let's let's just start with the obvious, the, the headliner, so to speak. Who comes out on day one with the first team? Is it DeAndre Swift right away, or is it on Johnson? I think this is probably, uh, I don't know, aside from... Aside from some things on the offensive line, which are truly up in the air, I think this is going to be the most interesting camp battle between carry on and Deandre Swift. Uh, I, I foresee carry on being the guy right out of the gate, just because he is the veteran. He is the player that until he gets, until he gets like surmounted, like it's going to be carry on getting the majority of the first team reps, but I think you're going to see Swift in there an awful lot. So, I, you know, we talked about at the top too, like getting rid of the preseason, that's going to be a really interesting scenario. That's now going to have to play itself out at like an accelerated rate where, and, and I don't know, it, all this talk could be for not because it could just be two guys who end up splitting carries who cares if it's, you know, carry on Johnson who ends up getting 16 starts because he is the running back that's out there on the first play of, you know, every game that the lions right. play not like that even really matters. So, um, but I, I think carry on is just going to get the veteran rub. I think he's going to be the guy who's going to be the, the starting running back out of the gate. What about you? Yeah, I, I think you, you bring up that very important point that these guys are going to be splitting carries in some sort of respect in, in 2020. And, uh, our over reliance on just the word starter is probably something that that doesn't really need to be uh, something that we focus on. That being said, I do I will find it interesting who's they're getting first team reps right at the beginning of camp. And I think you're right. I think it probably is carry on Johnson. Um, you know the fact that the the off season has has been cut so short that there's no OTAs, there's no rookie mini camp, there's no regular mini camp means a lot of these rookies' development might be delayed a month or two. And so maybe those guys that we projected as week one starters right away, whether it's Jeff Okuda, whether it's, um, you know, some of some of the other guys we're going to talk about on offense here, um, Jonah, Jonah Jackson, Logan Stenberg, maybe those guys aren't starting right away where they would have in a, in a normal offseason. So um, I do think in the case of DeAndre Swift, he, he, he'll start sooner rather than later. But I think if we're talking day one, it's probably carry on Johnson's job to start. Yeah, absolutely. And then and then we have some question marks kind of deeper in the running back room too, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think so. I think got, the intru- yeah. yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, not only do we have Ty Johnson versus Jason Huntley, who two guys who have really similar skill sets and two guys who, you know, add some special teams ability to the roster, but I'm not even going to go so far as to say that Bo Scarborough is a lock to make the, to make the team either. I think that's an astute observation because I mean, you think about it, what exactly is his role on the team? Is it, is it just like a goal line short yardage guy? If so, I don't know if that's worth a roster spot because Deandre Swift and carry on Johnson are both guys that aren't afraid of contact. We saw carry on Johnson score a couple, you know, goal line touchdowns in, in his first two years. And yeah, there's an injury concern there, but um, in terms of like physical play style, I don't really see, I mean, how many carries are we talking Bo Scarborough gets if DeAndre Swift and Carryon Johnson are both on the roster and both, both splitting carries as, as RB1 and RB2? Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think another another point to to take into consideration too is this team is going to probably roll out some pretty heavy formations 
And and I mean that in the terms of maybe like two tight ends, mm-hmm. a fullback. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it it's really going to matter the guys that are up front versus the guy who's running the football on the goal line. And sure. I think that maybe if it's 1996, it's really cool to have a guy like Bo Scarborough who can be a short yardage running back. But we're not too far removed from the LeGarrette Blunt experiment. Yeah. <laughs> True. And then, I mean, that's the thing. Like they've the last two seasons, they've really gone into training camp thinking that we've got our power back and neither time, you know, CJ Anderson being the other one didn't work out. And so both Scarborough right. kind of enters that, uh, that same equation now. And, and I, I just, I don't really see a point because in those previous instances, those guys were RB two, those guys had a clear RB one and then it was them and they still couldn't cut it. Now this guy is RB three. And you have to consider like, well, is that even worth it just to have a guy with such a specific role when you got guys like Ty Johnson and Jason Huntley, who are not only decent running backs, who are not only threats out of the backfield as receivers, but those are guys that also can also contend for a return job on special teams. What can Bo Scarborough do outside of short yardage running? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I think that's a, a good point to be. And I think I think it's it's certainly possible that, that maybe both Scarborough, we, we talk about Ty Johnson versus Jason Huntley as like the key depth battle here. But maybe maybe there's room for them both, especially if, if Scarborough isn't part of this team's plans. Yeah, I was going to ask you, do you think do you think it's a scenario? Because I don't I don't see them keeping five. I don't see right. them keeping carry on. Swift, Scarborough, Huntley, and Ty Johnson. I think that that's quite a bit because this is going to kind of dovetail into, you know, when we talk about tight ends and and fullbacks and things like that. But um, I really only see them keeping at most four and maybe they might value Ty Johnson and Jason Huntley because, you know, they can each do, they can each do the same thing, but they each do it really well in in a bind or in a pinch. Are you going to be able to count on Bo Scarborough to be a special teams contributor? Probably not. So right. that's where I think the equation gets it's I think that's where the equation gets solved. Yeah. And and we can bring Nick Bowden into this into you know the conversation here because I think he deserves to be part of the conversation because you're absolutely right. I don't think there's any point in keeping five and a fullback, but some would argue that if they decide to go Isaac Nada as fullback slash tight end, then they could go five running backs and kind of just like five and a half with a fullback that, that is also moonlighting as a tight end. And that's fair. I just don't know how, I, I don't know where I fall quite yet in the Nick Bodden versus I, Isaac Nada debate. It, and we'll get into that more when we get to talk about tight ends, right? Well, let's, I mean, let's jump into it now because I think it's an, it's okay. an interesting conversation because I, I feel like Isaac Nada and Nick Bodden are two very, uh, unknown commodities right now that they, they both essentially had their rookie season last year. Cause Nick Bowden was on IR his, his actual rookie season. And then Nick Bowden got injured again last year after just kind of a so-so performance at fullback. Isaac Nauta comes in the last month or two of the, of the season uh, takes over some fullback duties does probably a little bit worse, but granted, you know, it's not his natural position. I feel like Isaac nodded simply by nature of the Lions depth at tight end is a roster lock. The question is, do you accept Nick Bodden as a, a roster spot as a pure fullback and special teams guy? And it, it's, it's really, it, it's tough to say because none, neither of these two guys really have done their job particularly well. That doesn't mean neither of them are capable of doing it well. 
But yes, exactly. And I think the other thing too with Nick Bowden is you're kind of running into the Bo Scarborough conundrum. Like, are you going to keep a guy who's so one dimensional, especially when you have a coaching staff and a GM who just loves the word versatility more than I love gambling? I don't know. <laughs> like, you're, you're you, the, the so the thing is, I think that Isaac Nada almost has a leg up just because he plays tight end. He can play fullback in a pinch. It, I, I don't know how important, how important is a fullback going to be to this offense? I think that's the ultimate question. It's not, it's not, is it going to be Nick Bodden or is it going to be Isaac Nada? Is it, the question is how important is a fullback? Because if a fullback is absolutely imperative to Daryl Bevel's system, well then I think I'm going to want to keep the guy who's a fullback and I'm going to want to keep Nick Bodden. Right. And I mean, it, it's hard to say, you know, looking at his history, it's it's there. It, it's certainly more prominent than in some other teams. Last year it was about five to ten snaps per game, which doesn't seem like a ton. Uh, but at the same time, the, I, I, th- I think the one difference I want to bring up from from Bodden and um, and Scarborough is that Bodden is in on almost every special teams unit or he was last year. And so, yeah, there, there is value there that that I think the Lions may may you know, consider when, when, you know, deciding this thing. And, and while I think Isaac Nauta can probably do the same special teams things, it's, it's again, a, a matter of experience. I think Bodden has a little bit more experience doing that. Isaac Nauta really just kind of came onto the roster late in the year. And so we're still kind of figuring that out. And yeah, I, I, we know this team is really, really trying to run the ball hard. And if that's, if that's the case, I think they're going to value fullback more so than other teams. Um, whether that's enough to, to keep bought in or though, or not, I just, I don't even know it, it's to me. This is, this is maybe the biggest toss up on the roster. I'm kind of all for keeping, you know, your roster spots economical. So I would, I would lean toward Isaac Nauta getting the, the nod over, over, over Nick Bodden. But at the same time, you know, I don't, I don't want to back up like a, an emergency fullback to be the team's fullback. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's move on to wide receiver because again, this is a really interesting set of wide receivers. We know the top three and and that's not going to change. We know Kenny Galladay. We know Marvin Jones Jr. And we know Danny Amendola, but beyond that, there's a lot of interesting stories. There's Quintus Cephas, the rookie sixth round pick who, uh, or his fifth round pick. I always get some late round pick. Let's just say late round pick because I don't always remember those sort of things. Um, but the coverall, the, the coverall, exactly. Day three pick. Um, <laughs> uh, you got Marvin Hall, who who was fantastic in his what eight catches last year, which sounds ridiculous to say, but is absolutely true. Uh, and then you got a position change, who's a, a phenom on special teams. Ryan, where do we start here with this wide receiver group? I don't even know where to start. What what about the veterans, Geronimo Allison? What about sure. Travis Fulgham? I mean, I think that there is a lot of interesting storylines um, once you get past those top three. Now, I think the Lions are in a great spot here because they do have a solidified top three. They have their two outside receivers and they have their slot guy. Now you start thinking about well, if you if you need some if you need some depth there, you want another outside guy and you want another guy who can play in the slot. Is Jamal Agnew, is he going to be groomed to be a saver? Is Travis Fulgham ready to be that outside guy? Uh, 
and then really, I mean, Geronimo Allison versus Quintus Sevis. I, I, I think I see that as being kind of a camp battle in and of itself because it seems like those two guys are similar in their skill set. How how much do they do they want to see Geronimo Allison come in here and and be the big body receiver who can make catches, who is isn't necessarily a great separator, which is seemingly something that this coaching staff and the general manager don't doesn't really prioritize as being a, uh, an important trait for their wide receivers. But I mean, clearly they have a type because Geronimo Allison and Quintez Cephas seem to be from the same mold. So, um, I don't know. How many guys go ahead. I was just gonna say, I would even throw Chris Lacey into that conversation. I feel like the Lions really sure. liked what they saw from Chris Lacey last year. He made the team and, and even contributed a little bit towards the end of the season. Uh, I, I think th- I think they like him maybe a little bit more than they like a guy like Travis Fulgham, even though they drafted Fulgham. Yeah, maybe. And maybe Travis Fulgham spends another year on the practice squad and sure. um, and, and he gets relegated to, to that role. But how many how many receivers do you do you think you see them keeping? It's a good question. Uh, I think last year it was five or six. Um, I think it was five last year. And. I mean, I see I that think, being the same number, right? Yeah, like, it, like how I explained it, like two outside guys, a slot receiver, and then a backup outside guy and a backup slot guy. Right. And so, I mean, you, you look at the roster, that means it's, I mean, that's going to make it really tough for a guy like Jamal Agnew to slip in there, right? Because he has to prove he's as good as a slot backup slot or, or deep threat as a guy like Marvin Hall. Right. And yeah, I mean, that that's Marvin a, Hall's got a resume. It's not very Mar- long, yeah, but it's impressive. Well, it's long. It's not very detailed, I guess. Yeah. There's um, not a lot of you, cases. Yeah. And, and then you have to imagine a guy like Quintus Cephas is, is got a leg up on the competition just by, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of people are pegging him as, as a potential big surprise, maybe because of the way that um, Jeff Okuda talked about him. You know, he, I mean, he was actually really, really good in college. And if he hadn't had the lost season due to, you know, all the off season stuff or off the field stuff, he, he certainly could have been a, a higher draft pick. So, I mean, maybe again, this is, this is all about roster economics, right? Because is Jamal, I, th- I think it all just comes down to is Jamal Agnew worth a roster spot based mostly on a special teams value. And I go back and forth on this because my main point against that is that special teams just isn't as important anymore. You look at the kickoff returns, there's about one and a half kickoff returns per game and maybe, maybe two punt returns a game. So we're talking about three to four to maybe five plays a game where Jamal Agnew's out there. And I don't even think he's that great of a kickoff turn returner, to be honest. And, and the lines have plenty of guys on the roster that are going to make the roster that could do kick return punt return. However, there's no one on the on the team that matches what he can do and he can do something very, very special. The question is, is that worth a roster spot for the two to four opportunities he's going to get per game on punt return turn alone? And man, it's to me, that's very hard to, to really justify. Even if he's turning, you know, those two to four attempts into a touchdown every fourth game or every fifth game or every eighth game or whatever it is. Um, it's, it's really hard for me to justify that. Yeah, it is. It is a tough thing to justify. I will say, though, if the Lions are doing a position change with Agnew, I think that shows 
some level of commitment to him because I think that also shows that they're willing to do what they need to do to keep him around because they value his skill set. I think if, if they wanted to, I think if they wanted to just keep him as a returner, they would just bring him back as a cornerback. They would see if he could keep that job. And then if, if, you know, for whatever reason, they like the cornerbacks in the room and Jamal Agnew doesn't make the cut, they just get rid of them. But I think that moving him to wide receiver, I think that shows a level of commitment from the team that, hey, maybe this guy can be that gadget player on offense that Daryl Bevel's looking for. And he can also satisfy, you know, some return duties. And who knows, maybe even a pinch, he can play some cornerback if the Lions ever, you know, get into a super desperate situation just because he has that kind of versatility. So I want to say that Agnew almost has kind of a, a, a leg up just because of the position change. Now it's going to, it's going to be difficult for him because right. I mean, make, making a position change, especially going from defense to offense, that's huge. I mean, we even talk yeah. about like, you know, guys making the change from like right tackle to left tackle or guys making the change from guard to tackle and it being like a huge, a huge change for them. And that's the same side of the ball. That's still the offensive line. This is a guy who's going from, guarding receivers to being one yeah and and i I think i think that's a big deal and he's going to have the same disadvantage that a lot of rookies have right he didn't have otas he didn't have mini camp to to adjust to do live catching with with matthew stafford to run routes to to be coached up as he's out there on the field so yeah i think he's i i mean the other way to read his position change is that the lines decided well if we're going to keep this guy around he's going to have to do something more than just a, a backup nickel corner and he wasn't cutting it there. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I think, I think it's going to be challenging for him to, to make the roster. I really do. But at this point, it wouldn't surprise me either way. We are going to head into our first break. When we come back, we're going to continue our offensive training camp preview. And we are going to talk about offensive line where there's a whole bunch going on and not a lot known right now. So we're going to give our thoughts when we come back on the POD cast training camp edition. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. 
And we are back with our training camp preview POD cast where we're talking about the offense, the Detroit Lions offense for 2020 training camp, hopefully getting underway next week. Um, when we last left off, we had gone through most of the skill positions. I do want to go back to tight end. We talked a little bit about Isaac Nauta. Let's talk about the rest of the tight ends there before we jump into the offensive line. We know TJ Hawkinson is going to be the starter. We know the Lions can't cut Jesse James, so he'll part, probably be part of the equation. The question for me is, while I, I mentioned earlier, I think Isaac Nauta is probably a lock. The one kind of mitigating factor here is Hunter Bryant, the undrafted rookie who, by a lot of people's measures, was one of the best undrafted guys available to the free agent market right after the draft. And the Lions were able to swipe him up. Ryan, what are your thoughts about him potentially disrupting the tight end group and, and maybe making a bid for the 53-man roster? I think he's going to make the roster. You do? I think that... I do. I do. I do think Hunter Bryant's going to make the roster, and I think that the Lions targeted him for a very specific reason. And that reason being his big playability. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was something that the Pro Football Focus put out. Um, this was a tweet they put out back in early July. Um, mm-hmm. But the most receptions of 20 plus yards by power five tight ends, uh, Hunter Bryant had seven and he led all tight ends in college football last year um, of power five schools. Uh, I think that that's something that the Lions probably found very attractive about his skill set is that he's a guy who can stretch the field. He's athletic. He's a pass catcher. And I think he is what the Lions maybe hoped that Jesse James could have been, but is not. Jesse James is going to stick around. They're going to keep Hogginson. Like you said, they're going to keep Jesse James, um, Isaac Nauta because of his versatility. But beyond that, I mean, I don't really see any other like pet outside of Hawkinson. I don't see any real pass catchers on the roster, like any legitimate guys. So, I mean, I think Hunter Bryant has every opportunity to come in and, and make the, make the roster. So uh, I'm assuming in, in your theoretical world here, the lines are keeping four tight ends. That means Nick Bodden's probably gone, right? I think that means the ax for Nick Bodden. Yeah. Interesting. I guess and, and you're, you're right to have a little hype around Bryant. I mean, also going to PFF that they had him as a 91.7 receiving grade since 2017 and 2.9 yards per route run, which was the highest of any tight end in, in the 2020 class. Um, I guess my concern, my, my report would simply be that I think this team thinks highly of Jesse James. Still, I think they still believe he'll turn it around because the trajectory of his career before coming to Detroit was upward. He kept getting better and better and, and more receiving yards, more receiving yards. I think it was mid mid to high 300s before he came to Detroit. And then everything kind of collapsed last season. So, may, I mean, maybe they are starting to prepare for life without James, but I don't even know if they can get out of his deal next year. It's probably more realistic in, in 2022, especially with potentially a, a lowering cap. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think there's really room for for four tight ends on the roster. I don't think it makes a lot of sense. And I, I do think as coveted as he may have been as an undrafted guy, I don't think there's that much risk to, to cutting him and, and trying to stash him on the practice squad for a year. Yeah. Who knows if he could even be stashed on the practice squad. And I know we just had this whole discussion about, you know, quarterbacks and, and players of value being able to be stashed on the practice squad. But I just view Hunter Bryan as being the modern NFL tight end. I think that 
his game is a lot like Evan Ingram's game. I think that what he, he doesn't necessarily have the size that Evan Ingram has, but he has a big playability. And yeah. I think that that's something that every NFL team covets. And uh, I think in Daryl Bevel's system, I think him and Hawkinson would be, would be absolute dynamite in terms of their pass catching ability. And the only reason I do think that they could keep four tight ends, is like you said, if one of their tight ends is moonlighting as a fullback yeah. and is moonlighting as a special teams player. And that would be right. Isaac Nauta. Certainly possible. All right, let's move yeah. to that offensive line. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about first what we know. We know Taylor Decker is the starting left tackle. We know Frank Ragnow is going to be the starting center. We're pretty darn sure Halapuli Vati Vaitai is going to be the starting right tackle. I know there are some that really still believe he's going to be in a, a guard, but I think that's nonsense. I think he's going to be a right tackle, and, and there's not even going to be a competition there. Agreed. But the guard situation, the guard situation to me is is very much up in the air. And and the reason I say that is because usually by now we would have seen the Lions plans for their rookies, right? We would have seen, I mean, you think about when the Lions drafted Frank Ragnow, immediately they put him at right guard and we knew pretty much right away he was going to be right guard his rookie season. Same with Taylor Decker, left tackle from the minute he stepped on camp, he stayed there. That was his position that entire year and obviously beyond. Haven't had that with Logan Stenberg. We haven't had that with Jonah Jackson. Uh, the Lions are returning a bunch of guys, including Ode Abushi, Kenny Wiggins, Joe Dahl. All those guys had some time on the offensive line last year. But now we don't know. We don't know who's going to be on left. A bunch of these guys have left side, right side versatility. We don't know how COVID and the shortened offseason is going to affect their, their plans for the rookies, the young guys. We don't know anything. And so I guess, Ryan, my question to you is like, what do you think? What Who's... Who's going to start at left guard? Who's going to start at right guard? Day one of training camp. That that might be a different answer than week one of the regular season, but who steps out there day one, left guard, right guard? Day one, and I'm going to fall back on my laurels and I'm going to definitely say the same thing that I said with the running backs. I think it's going to be the guys who are veterans and who have been here. Left guard, Joe Dahl. Right guard, Ode Abushi. Not Kenny Wiggins? Not Kenny Wiggins. I, I don't. I don't think Kenny Wiggins will be the starter. I, it's something. It's just something I feel in my gut. It's something okay. I feel in my gut. Interesting. Um, I don't even know if Kenny Wiggins ends up making the team. You're crazy. They love Am Wiggins. They love Wiggins. They played him so much last year, even though they shouldn't have. But they drafted two guards. They did. Don't those, don't but those guys was neither of those like guards. <laughs> Why would they value Bushi over Wiggins, though? I don't like Wiggins. You asked me for my opinion. You didn't ask me what fair. I thought the team was going to do. Okay, fair. I, I don't right. know. I don't know if that's true. I thought I said who's going to start day one at training camp. Yeah, you asked for my opinion. You didn't ask me for what I thought Matt Patricia was going to do on his four wheeler. Is Matt Patricia uh, still going to have a four wheeler? I don't know. That's a good. Maybe that should. Maybe that should be our entire topic next week. <laughs> he doesn't Rather need one anymore. Defense, <laughs> Rather than talk about the defense, let's talk about Matt Patricia's all-terrain vehicles. Um, that may be a more pleasant conversation, to be honest. Let Let me throw a question back to you then. Yeah. How long? How long until Jonah Jackson ends up cracking the starting lineup? Day one. Day one. Day one. I'm, I'm, they traded up to get the guy. 
the the precedent has been set. They want their starters there from the get go. And I know this is a different off season, and I know this is you know uh, an asterisk season. But I think I think Jonah Jackson starts, and my my inclination is left guard, and that's going to ruffle some feathers because Joe Dahl pretty much only plays left guard, which means you're starting either Ode Ibushi or the right answer Kenny Wiggins at right right guard. And so I think I think it's Jackson and and Wiggins to start at the at the guard positions from day one uh, when we're talking left to right there. I'm going to go to pro football reference and I'm going to have them add the right answer as a nickname for Kenny Wiggins. <laughs> no, do not. No, don't quote me on <laughs> referring to Kenny Wiggins as the right answer. He's, he's the right answer at right guard. <laughs> but I, I think, I mean, I, I think in an ideal situation, maybe you have Joan on the right doll on the left, but I think, I think Joan is a little better on the left side. He he's played left at at Ohio State in his his last season at college. He was right guard for for Rutgers. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think he's a little more comfortable in that in that left guard position based on you know some of the tape and you know some things I'm hearing as well. So I mean, it, it's tough. Um, I, I think there are other you know position battles here that that are interesting. Like, what about Ben Shaw? Does he have a place on this depth chart? Um, is he, is he going to be the backup center? I, I brought that up earlier on, on the pride of Detroit website because, you know, kind of a behind the scenes story that I don't think a lot of Lions fans caught on to was that Ben Shaw was practicing on the, on the scout team as a center towards the end of the year. And so I think their long-term pl- I mean, I think that right there is them preparing for Glasgow to leave, right? They're like, Oh crap, we're not going to have our backup center next year. Let's start getting Ben Shaw some reps in there to see if maybe he can be the backup center. His competition is probably Russell Bodine, you know, the, the veteran center there. Um, right. And, and I, it's something that I don't think a lot of people are considering. It's like this team needs a backup center. They don't have one in their starting lineup like they did before. And so I think Ben Shaw probably has the inside track there, but Bodine has the experience and a lot of experience. I think he started over 40 games. Um, so that's kind of an interesting training camp battle that I think is, is uh, interesting to keep an eye on. Is is there any other offensive lineman that you want to maybe get a better look at before you call them either a long shot or a roster lock or anything like that? What about Josh Garnett? Yeah. I think that he has a potential to, to stick around because um, last year, the Lions kept six interior offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, even going into this year, they drafted two guys. Yep. So by all accounts, I mean, let, let's talk about guys who we think are going to be absolute roster locks on the interior offensive line. Frank Ragnow is one. Yep. Joe Dahl is two. Jonah Jackson is three. Is Logan Stenberg four? Yeah. You do. He's a, what, fourth round pick? Yeah. Right. He's in. Ken, Kenny Wiggins. The right is answer. Is he a roster lock now? <laughs> the is right answer? I'm asking. I, I have him as a roster lock. Yes. Those are my five. So, you named my so, five roster locks. So there's five. So then does Bo Benshaw have that kind of inside track to be the sixth guy just because he could be the backup center and he could out, he could oust Odey Ibushi? I think so. Yes. That's yeah. how I would predict it. I would say those five and Bo Benshaw are your six guys. But I do think, 
I think Josh Garnett, I think Ode Ibushi and Russell Bodine are all in on that competition right now. Oh yeah. I, I don't think that it's anything set in stone by any means. Also let's, um, let's dispel. I, I don't think it'll happen this year at all whatsoever, unless injuries force it to happen, but you will not have two rookie guards playing left and right guard. It, it will not be Jonah Jackson and Logan Stenberg. Yeah. I think that's important to point out. I think, I think, I think from the get go, I think Logan Stenberg was more of a project. I think in, even in a regular season, even with a, a regular off season, I think Stenberg's rookie season was always planned to be uh, a learning experience, a, a year on the bench. Oh, I mean, yeah. you, you, you talk, I mean, you hear about how that draft pick came about and, and there was never a plan to grab two guards. He just provided an extra, I think, Bob Quinn said it like he was just a value pick at that point. They didn't expect him to be on the board right there. And they're like, we get this mean run game mauler in, in the fourth round. Yes, please. And so you you can tell right there that their plan wasn't, Oh, we need a starter right now at guard. We're just like, Oh, bonus. We got this guy now. So now we can add some talent, let him develop. He played in Kentucky where they barely passed the ball. So it's past pros, probably not very polished at this point. So yeah, have him ride the bench. I think, I think Joe Dahl and Kenny Wiggins are are good enough. They're not great, but good enough to to have as a starter amidst everyone else on that offensive line. So yeah, unless there's a, a severe injury uh, among that group, I think I think Logan Stenberg is is basically riding the pine all of 2020. Yeah, I think it's a great point. Well said. Mm-hmm. All right, I think the last real question with this offensive line group is that the is that the tackle position. Um, we again we know the starters in, in Vitae and and Decker. Now they they really only kept three offensive tackles last year, so that only means one swing tackle, and that job probably belongs to Tyrell Crosby. But I think there's one guy to keep your eye on, and it's Matt Nelson out of Iowa. So if you guys remember, Matt Nelson was a UDFA last year coming into Detroit as a defensive tackle in college. He made the transition. He was basically on the training on the, I'm sorry, the uh, practice squad, the entire 2020 season working on that transition. Now I'm not here to say like, I saw Matt Nelson at camp. He's definitely going to be the backup backup offensive tackle this year, but maybe he's good enough now to, to potentially warrant a roster spot or, you know, maybe unseat Tyler Crosby. I haven't seen anything bad in Tyrell Crosby to, to necessitate, you know, losing his roster spot. He's been decent in replacement, but I think Matt Nelson is an interesting storyline and maybe one to keep an eye on in training camp. Am I wrong? No, I don't think you're wrong. And I think that, I think that the general mood, even when Tyrell Crosby was drafted, was that he was going to make the transition at the next level from tackle to guard. Just because he is, he's six foot five. He's a little bit beefier. He's, um, he's over 300 pounds. Somebody like Matt Nelson, that guy's six foot seven and he's kind of, I guess you would all, almost call him like slender because he's like 290. <laughs> so he, he's, he's almost more of like the, the modern NFL tackle build. Right. I just wonder if, if you're going to keep, if you're going to keep six interior offensive linemen, you're pretty solidified at that spot. So like you said, if you're going to keep one swing tackle, it's truly going to be a guy who you want to play tackle. It's not going to be a guy that I think you're going to value their positional versatility and say somebody like Tyrell Crosby, where it's like, okay, well, you know, if we get into a pinch, we can swing him in and he can play guard or something like that. Uh, I think that they're going to have enough of that on the roster 
with you know the the six guys that we listed off as as being potential um, roster locks for the interior offensive line position. So Matt Nelson, he he could very well sneak his way onto the roster. And I would say right now, though, I would say Tyrell Cros. It's Tyrell Crosby's job to lose. Would you say that? Oh, no question, no question. Yeah. But but yeah, I think it's it's just. Just a name to keep an eye on is someone who may surprise you at training camp with either the reps he's getting or, you know, his performance. I was going to say his performance in the preseason, but then clicked on probably not having a preseason this year. So uh, <laughs> that's going to that's really going to mess with, you know, I think fans experience of this offseason. Right. Is They're, they're not going to get an opportunity to see these players in training camp. They're not going to get an opportunity to see them in preseason. So when when roster cuts comes. It, it's just going to be based on like reports from, from beat writers at training camp. And that that's the only way you're going to be able to form an opinion as a fan, because you aren't going to see them at all. So that's kind of, that's an interesting thing to think about right now, because maybe roster costs are, aren't, aren't going to be as exciting because you're not going to be able to formulate your own opinion based on what you saw. But um, I'm, I'm sidetracking ourselves. We're, we're coming towards the end of the second segment. Let's, let's kind of wrap things up with a couple questions about, all of the offensive training camp. Let me start with this one. What do you think is the biggest storyline for the Lions' offense in training camp? Oh man, I this might be a cop out answer, but I'm going to say Matthew Stafford's health. Oh, we didn't even mention that at the top. Yeah, talk about it. I I think that you just want to see him out there humming. You want to mm-hmm. see him out there throwing passes with the velocity that he normally throws it with. You want to see him getting out and making throws on the run. Like we're accustomed to seeing him doing because the protection usually breaks down. (laughs) But I think, I think for any lions fan who had to go through just the torturous season that was last year, I think the biggest storyline is whether or not the team's best player is healthy and ready to go. And and that's, that's a good point. I do think that any sort of concerns over there right now are a little, I don't know, overly exaggerated. I think I, maybe I'm just being naive, but I trust everyone at their word that Matthew Stafford has been hundred percent for months now. And also the good news is that he's going to be wearing that red Jersey for the entirety of the off season. Now <laughs> yeah. he, he won't right. get touched until week one uh, guaranteed pretty much. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's definitely something that I think people are going to have an eye on when training camp opens is, is just how comfortable he looks. Um, because yeah, it was obviously a serious back injury and, and, you know, he hasn't really been hunched over taking saps and, and, you know, throwing the ball downfield, except if you count all those, uh, you know, off season training with off-season. Danny Amendola. Yeah. Yeah, I, it, I think Jeremy, I think the, the point that I'm just trying to make is cause I, I believe in all the reports too. It's just seeing it is a different thing than reading it or hearing sure. about it. You know? Yeah, that's fair. I think my answer to the question is just the offensive line. We just spent this entire segment pretty much talking about it, but yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, they got rid of one of their best players on the offensive line in Graham Glasgow. So how is it all going to come together now? And it's going to be important. Um, it, it does seem like they're trying to make a transition to a more run based offensive line. I want to see how that's going to work out. You're not really going to find out what it's going to look like in training camp because any sort of running play in training camp doesn't look like anything because not everyone is going hundred percent. Not everyone's trying to, you know, kill the other person across the line. But, um, once, once things start getting, you know, fully physical, all the pads are on and, and starting to look like, you know, a full 
head-on practice. I'm very interested to see how that offensive line is going to develop. And last question before we go to our mailbag, who is the offensive player you're most interested in watching? If you were there at training camp this year, who's the one guy you're laser focused on? This is going to seem kind of gimmicky, but I want to see how Jamal Agnew does. Okay. In no, that, that, I, I'm with you. That transition. I think that yeah. transition would just be super interesting to see. Not, and I, I don't mean this. I don't mean this in a bad way, Jamal Agnew, if you're listening, but I, I just want to see sure. a player. I just want to see a player make a transition from defense to offense. I think that's just a super interesting case study. Yeah. So it, it has less. It has less to do with Jamal Agnew. It has everything to do with the fact that he's making a, a transition from one side of the ball to the other. Yeah, that would make for like if, if there was hard knocks here, that would make for a really, really interesting storyline to just like follow him in, in offensive meetings, see what it's like, the learning process and, and all that sort of stuff. I think that's that's a great answer. Yeah. Believe it or not. The guy who hates running backs the most, DeAndre Swift, is my answer. I want to see Whoa. what what had what has the Lions infatuated with this guy. I want to know why they thought it was appropriate to use uh, the, <laughs> the third pick in the second round on him. I want to know. I want to see it. I want to see it out there. I want to be wrong. I want to be proven wrong. That's what I want to do. So I'm going to, and then, I mean, if, if we're being honest, he's probably going to be the most exciting rookie the Lions have because he's going to touch the ball more than any other Lions rookie. I'm sorry, Jeff Okuda. I, I don't believe you're going to touch the ball, you know, 60 times. If you do, that's amazing. You will probably break some records, but um, yeah, he's, he's going to be the most exciting weapon that the Lions added this year. And so um, I want to, I want to see it. I want to see what everyone's all excited about. And hopefully join in on some of that excitement. So DeAndre Swift is my answer for most exciting, most interesting player on the offensive side of the ball training camp this year. That ends our training camp preview of the offense. Next week, we're going to talk about the defense and all the big changes they've made over there. But before we do any of that, we're going to head straight to the mailbag, answer some of your questions when we come back from the break. Stick with us. Hashtag SPOD. Anytime y'all have a question for our mailbag, you want to do it today while you're listening for next week's episode, go ahead and do it. You want to do it right before we record on Monday nights? Great. I'll probably find it. Um, but yeah, on Twitter, hashtag SPOD or wait for the SPOD uh, post on PrideofDetroit.com, which usually happens on Friday afternoons. You can just throw in a comment there if you're part of our Pride of Detroit commenter team, our, our community over there. Um, also, I just want to do a quick shout out to those of you who've been giving us reviews and ratings on uh, the POD cast on Apple podcast. That's where we kind of get the most play. And so your, your reviews do a big part in, you know, rising us up the, the search results and uh, the reviews that we get that, that I really like, we'll read on stream. Um, we don't have any prepared this week, but uh, we'll get back into that to kind of give some love back to those of you who've given us some love. But with that, let's go to the mailbag. First question comes from Tyler Bostador on Twitter at Boston. Whoa, boss T E H door. 
Yes, hashtag SPD. Who's your most controversial dark horse to make the 53-man roster? Brian, are you going to stick with with Hunter Bryant? I think that's probably a good one for you, unless you got another one in the chamber. Do you think that's a dark horse? I th- Yeah, absolutely I do. Yeah. I don't he's know if he's a dark hierarchy. horse. I don't know if he's a dark horse just because he's coming in with so much. Um, he's coming in, coming in with such a rub. Like, I mean, he, he got, he got signed pretty quickly. The Lions scooped him up. He has, he had a little bit of, um, you know, excitement surrounding him just because he, he was by all accounts, a guy that a lot of, a lot of outlets said would be drafted. And then he ends up not getting drafted and the Lions sign him. So, right. um, I don't know if he's necessarily a dark horse, but I would say that he's my guy that I think will end up make, making the 53 man roster. That's fair. Um, but I guess the one guy I'm going to say, and it's tough because I, I want to save some of it for, for next week. I think Tony McRae, the cornerback uh, from the Bengals is a guy to keep an eye on. And let me just make sure I get all of his information, right? Special he, teams value. Yeah, that's it is, is the special teams value. And, you know, the lines obviously brought in a new special teams coordinator from Cincinnati. So McCray is going to have a leg up there in terms of comfortability and, and all the, the, the teaching that Braden Coombs is going to bring in. And it, it's, it's definitely going to be a tough route for him to make the roster given the depth that they have at that position. But he's just, to me, he's a guy that no one's really talking about. And he's a guy that, I mean, we've seen guys in the secondary surprise and come out of nowhere and, and make the team based on special teams alone. CJ Moore is a, is a great example of that. Um, Mike Ford to, to a lesser degree. And, and so I think McCray is a guy that that's really going to come in with, with a leg up, even on some of the guys that have been here for a couple of years, just because of that special teams value that he brings with the special teams coordinator that's comfortable with him. I like it. All right. On the other end of the spectrum, our friend Jeff Risden asks uh, at Jeff Risden on Twitter, if you don't know, uh, he asks which wildly inadequate UDFA becomes a cult hero, future all pro for the mouth breathing section of fans this year. I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> can I, uh, I was going to say, can I just say Hunter Bryan again? <laughs> <laughs> Hunter Bryant's probably not a terrible answer. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Does that make me a mouth breather? Uh, maybe. <laughs> I think it does. I'm trying to look through this roster and, and, and find someone else. And the issue is that they have to be at a position where people care about, right? Like, I mean, maybe it's Aaron Sipos, the, the Aussie punter. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Okay. But the problem is he absolutely couldn't, he could beat Jack Fox in the punter competition. I have no idea. And I don't know. Do people care about backup fullbacks? We didn't talk about Luke sellers, but he's, he's a backup fullback again. I don't think people care enough about it. The thing is they don't have an undrafted wide receiver or running back, which is what I think the people would really get like, like a guy like Zach Zenner that gets the people going. Cause it's a running back. And and I think the thing that's really going to hurt the mouth breathers this year, again, those are just words, not mine, is that there's no preseason. So there won't be that fourth quarter standout star that everyone's like, oh my God, did you see this guy? He got five sacks against uh, an offensive lineman whose head was on backwards. Or, you know, 
the, the running back that runs for 60 yards against linebackers who have two left feet. So <laughs> I, I don't, I mean, with, with no guy to cling to based on their own eyes, I don't really know if there's going to be that guy this year. I, I have one more name. Hit me. Steve Wordle. What if he ends up? <laughs> don't you, Don don't you dare. Don't you dare bring up a long snapper watch 2020. <laughs> It's going to be an actual watch. I'm kind of nervous. No, it's not. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. All right. Next question comes from Billy Sims. Made me do it over at our pride of Detroit community. He asked, since conspiracy theories are popular right now, what's your most believable NFL conspiracy theories or cover-ups? And what's the most ridiculous NFL conspiracy theory? Are you a big conspiracy theory guy? I mean, I'm not sure if we landed on the moon in the 60s but <laughs> okay so that you have an open mind it sounds like i'm willing to be conspiracy theoried do you do you believe in any nfl conspiracy theories i mean how can you not believe in 2014 for real for real jeremy the flag was on the field and then it got picked up and then they just pretended like it never happened Okay, so what's the conspiracy here? That the what, NFL was in the pocket of the Cowboys? Wasn't the conspiracy like the, the refs were on like the party bus? Jeff son's bus or whatever? Something like that. Or was it Pereira was on that bus or someone? I don't know. Somebody from Pereira or Blandino or one of the one of the group. Okay, but I mean that falls apart all the next week right when the cowboys lose on the desden catch it play didn't that happen the, well, literally the next week it did happen the next week but it happened against green bay who has even deeper pockets and is even <laughs> okay this goes all the way to the top my friend this goes all the way to the top that top is aaron Rodgers, who yeah. lost the following week to the seattle seahawks in overtime are the Seahawks on the payroll? I mean, if the Seahawks are on the payroll, suddenly the bad and ball thing makes sense. Maybe we just blew this whole thing open. I think that we're on to something here. I think the <laughs> NFL wanted a new dynasty. I think that's why they punished the Seahawks in a way after they chose to not run the ball and throw it on the goal line. <laughs> the Seahawks were supposed to be the next dynasty that would mm. oust the Patriots because you know that the Patriots and Roger Goodell do not get along. Look, I think that we just blew the lid off this entire thing. <laughs> this is going to be our last podcast. They're going to shut us down. I'm fearful for my life right now <laughs> because you know, you know who does their dirty work, right? I'm not going to say his name. <laughs> All right. Our next question <laughs> comes from critical perspective. He asked, I'm not going to read it word for word because it's kind of a, a complicated question, but basically he's asking you, you can't count Jamal Agnew, but if you had to move one lions player to a different position and they, and they had to move completely. So they couldn't play a little bit of their old position, a little bit of their old new position or a little bit of their new position. They're fully onto their new position and they're a starter at the new position. Who would you choose and where would you move them to? Ooh, um, man. So I really want to take a backup from somewhere because I don't want to take anybody from the offensive line that could start because the Lions need those players. Sure. Um, 
boy, oh boy, how about we take Jared Davis and turn him into a fullback? Jared Davis is your starting fullback. <laughs> yeah, I think I like it. <laughs> he's super where? athletic. Um, he might not know where to block, but he's going to do something. <laughs> he's just he's going to run right by the guy he's supposed to block and then just like turn around and, and you know, do the little like sad Charlie Brown head down thing back into the huddle the, for the next play. Well, either the next player, he'll be jogging the sideline. <laughs> man this is a tough one maybe but don't don't the lions get better if they subtract jared davis okay okay wait let's take christian jones and put him there (laughs) oh man it's gonna be so fun talking about the linebackers next week (laughs) can i just be cheap and do like deandre swift to the wide receiver position is that cheating yeah that's cheating but but it's me being weird about running backs again. That's fun. Do you think Bar? Do you think Bo Scarborough could play linebacker? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Coward. Uh, yeah, I'm just gonna have to leave that one at that. <clears throat> All right, fun one from TJW Go Blue. He asks, he doesn't even ask. He tells us, "Build me your perfect grilled cheese." Do you have a? Do you have an answer for this? Not off the bat. My, my initial thing is it has to be sourdough bread. That's, that's my starting point. Okay. Do you want to fill in the rest here? Or are you still thinking it over? I have an answer because I've had the, I've had a perfect grilled cheese. Oh, okay. Um, let's hear it. So it's a French double cream brie with tomatoes oh. and garlic on a baguette. Oh my. Where did you get this? It's from the Clarkston Union in downtown Clarkston. Uh, if you ever have an opportunity to try it, it is absolutely delicious. Wow. I'm... Sometimes I think sometimes I get it with a little like a balsamic drizzle on top mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Here's my thing so, about grilled cheese and tom- tomatoes, though, like. I think I just yeah. prefer the tomato dipping into the tomato sauce rather than having a tomato on it. So here is why I, cause normally I hate tomatoes. Don't like mm-hmm. tomatoes. I like tomatoes on this because it's an open face sandwich. There isn't a top oh. part. It's just not a baguette. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So, so it doesn't, too- get like, doesn't get soggy or mushy or it doesn't really affect the bread. Cause it sits on top of the cheese. Hmm. Man, you gotta try so I don't good. think I'm going to be able to top that answer, but here's here's where I'm going to lose some people is I do think there's room for blue cheese in a grilled cheese just to bring a little bit of funk to it. Like I prefer the creamier, you know, wetter cheese. I couldn't think of a better word than wetter because wetter does yeah. not sound appetizing, but the creamier like sp- spread cheeses in a grilled cheese. But I want a little bit of funk too. So I think, I think there's some room to, to improve it with just a, just a dash of blue cheese. And I know there are a lot of blue cheese haters out there. And to, to me, I say, you're not fans of real cheese. Come at me. You're not fans of real cheese. He says <laughs> pickles on grilled cheese is good. Dustin Whitehead from her chat. No, no, I will not allow that. I'm sorry. Let's move <laughs> on. I'm offended. Uh, Brett Yoder from Twitter asks, 
Hashtag SPOD. I couldn't care less about Madden ratings, but Tracy Walker is Tracy Walker really this big of a secret nationally? That was a disgrace. To be fair, I think they overvalued our linebackers. Uh, for those that don't know, Tracy Walker was given a 77 on Madden 21, which was 45th among safety. So definitely, I think, lower than what Lions fans have them as. Uh, do you view that as a big slight, Ryan? Uh, I think so, just because I think that's even a worse rating than he had the season prior. I think he was either a 78 or a 79 for last mm-hmm. year's game. So yeah, I don't think that he got worse. True. Probably. Men and ratings are just an absolute mess. The whole they game are. is a mess. Yes. And I felt dirty even writing anything about it, but I did anyways, because I know people like it. But let, I want to talk a little bit about Tracy Walker here because I think I think there's an assumption on Lions fans part that this guy's already a pro bowler and he's not there yet. And I think he has a potential to be. He certainly has the athleticism to be, but we really haven't seen it yet. We've seen flashes, but I'm not ready to put him in the conversation as, as a pro bowler or as a top, you know, even, even as like a top three safety in the division. Um, and so I think... I think if there's really any overvaluing right now on the, it's probably on the part of the lions fans with Tracy Walker, because they, they want to crown him before he's really any accomplished anything significant in this league. And, and I do want to reiterate, I do think Walker is a very talented player. That's very capable of making a pro bowl jump yet. But if you're EA, are, how could you possibly hand him that already? He hasn't, he hasn't really accomplished all that much. Has he not? Yeah, I I totally agree with everything you just said. Yeah. He's got to earn it. And I don't I just don't know necessarily how you earn it. Um other than and I think this happens with Madden a lot because the Buccaneers all of a sudden have just like a ton of like highly rated players. Right. But like you, you just need to become like high like a high profile successful team. Like if your team is good, everybody gets a roster, everybody gets a ratings boost. So Maybe yeah. that's what needs to happen for the Lions. Yep. Don't disagree there. All right, we're going to throw it back to Critical of Perspective, who had two good questions this week. Uh, he says, Sheila calls you and wants your help. As part of her deep dive into the organization, she decides to fire one, but not both, of Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia. She wants to know who goes and who stays. I feel, I feel like we weekly get a question about firing one or both of these guys whether it's what do they have to do not to get fired this year, or if they go five and 11, will they both get fired? Will one of them get fired? Are they tied at the hip? This, this takes a little different angle on it. Um, if you had to get rid of one, Ryan, who are you getting rid of? So long. Farewell. Avita saying goodbye to Matt, Patricia. I will not even cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's got to be the answer, right? Like, I know Bob Quinn hasn't done a tremendous job drafting past, you know, day two of the draft. And even as some of his day one choices have, have been questionable at best, and his free agent has probably been even worse. But it's hard not to look at the mess that Matt Patricia has made of this team in the past two years and not view him as the bigger mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Could you, could you imagine? Matt Patricia without Bob Quinn. 
what would, what would that relationship be like between head coach and general manager? Right. Who are you going to bring in to be the general manager? Bill Belichick. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Hold on. Hold on. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm changing my answer. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't know. Man, Patricia, I, uh, to me, there's just too many philosophical differences I have with Matt Patricia, both in terms of being a leader and in terms of some football strategy as well. And I'm not saying I know better than him, but I'm I'm saying I know what I prefer and and what he brings to the team is, is not really necessarily what I prefer. Now, I'm not I, I do want to reiterate that I do think potentially Matt Patricia's plan could work, but it hasn't at all through through two seasons. And um. I'm I'm not super optimistic about everything coming together in year three, but I'm hopeful. We'll see. That's all I got. That's all I got. I'm I I just ooh. live. I sent you a picture of the grilled cheese. So oh my goodness, I know great podcast content, but well, this is this is just a reason why if you're listening on a podcast platform, you should be watching live on our Twitch channel. Cause I'm about to show it to everybody that's watching live. Or if you can't watch us live Monday nights at 8 PM, you can watch us on YouTube. As I mentioned at the top, uh, our YouTube channel will have this video right on there starting on Tuesday morning. And so here we go. There it is. Chat. Now that cheese on top is not melted. Um, not really like just, just like lightly. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Do you remember what this little dressing thing is? Uh, I think that that's a, I, I want to say that's like a chutney. Okay. Um, but I want to say it might even be for the salad that's with it. I'll be honest. It doesn't look as good as I was hoping, but I, no, I do believe you that it's, to, that it's delicious. Oh, yeah. It's just such a creamy cheese, like the brie. Like, yeah. ugh. Yeah. Dad is arguing that that's not a grilled cheese because it's open faced and not melted cheese, but. Oh my too, god! Then take being called take too fancy half, for a grilled cheese. Take one half and put it on top of the other one and eat it. And shut up! <laughs> All right, our last question comes from our buddy LJB Ruff. Um, we we actually talked about this a little bit on our last broadcast, but after we stopped recording the POD cast, we we're talking captains, and so uh, we're going to split this question between weeks since this was an offensive themed uh, podcast. The question is who are going to be the 2020 captains on offense. And so the past two years, the the trend has been three offensive captains, three defensive captains, one special teams captains. Let me read you the past captains on 2018 and 2019. 2018 was Stafford, Marvin Jones, TJ Lang. Last year, Matthew Stafford, Taylor Decker, Danny Amendola. So all three of those guys are back. Do you think all three of those guys retain their captainship in 2020? No. Ooh. Go on. Matthew Stafford. Uh-huh. Taylor Decker. Uh-huh. Marvin Jones. Ooh, he re- he retains, he pulls it back. I think I think he gets it back. I don't know why, but I think he's just going to be a good locker room guy this year. Hmm. That's interesting. I don't think I agree with you, but it's interesting. I just a thought bad. I think I think I'm probably sticking with the three from last year, Stafford, Decker, and Amendola. But I think I think there is a chance that Ragnow takes over for Decker. 
Oh, that's yeah. spicy, and I like it. I do like the the steps that, that Ragno I think is taking as a leadership, uh, as a leader in in that offensive line room. I do think they probably stick with quarterback, offensive line, wide receiver, and I don't view anyone in the running back core as, as potentially being a, a leader. No offense to that group quite yet. Um, so if, if there's a change at wide receiver, I would actually probably put Kenny Galladay over, over, um, Marvin Jones, but we'll see. He's, he's kind of a quiet guy. So he might not be the, the captain, uh, the captain personality, but yeah, I think if I were to change Stafford Decker, Amendola would be to Stafford Ragnow Amendola, but we'll see. I don't know. We'll see. I like that. I like, I like Ragnow as a potential potential captain yeah all right and with that we are going to end the podcast thank you for listening again as a reminder you can catch us on youtube now just go search pride of detroit on youtube you'll find our channel there you'll have this episode with at least my beautiful face on it soon to be ryan's once he gets his camera fixed and all sorts of other stuff over there on our youtube channel as always we're on our twitch channel twitch.tv slash pride of detroit if you want to watch us live And then if you prefer just listening to our voices, you don't want to see me. That's fine too. I don't take any offense to it. Any podcast platform, you'll, you'll find the pride of Detroit podcast to search pride of Detroit, which you've probably already done because you're listening to this elongated outro, because I don't know how to end these shows. So I will just say, be kind. It's chaos. I said it backwards. I can't even do my own outro anymore. I'm bad at this. It's chaos. Be kind. We'll see you next week for the defensive training camp preview. Goodbye. Truly channeling the adequate host.